Thank you, Creed. Thank you all for coming out on a snowy night. Uh, I was reluctant to come out. I was just in lacrosse uh, the other day doing a talk at an educators conference, and I woke up that morning ready to go, and I looked at my phone, and it was minus 15. I said, man, I guess winter is really coming back, and then I left and went to Appleton the following day to be a keynote at the program there, and it warmed up to negative three. So I'm like, oh, it's getting a little bit better. So I'm okay with the snow as long as it's not, like, brutally cold. So thank you all for coming out. Um, I'm going to do a very short version of a presentation that I call The Hidden Impact of Segregation. This is a presentation I've done in a variety of spaces, libraries, churches, businesses, colleges, universities, K-12 through schools. I've done some version of this presentation about 100 times. I stopped counting. I used to count, but I just stopped counting. People keep asking for it. Um, and I most recently did it at Northwestern Mutual just the other day. So what I'm going to do is take you through a journey to kind of understand how segregation developed and then to look at how it's impacted the Milwaukee that we live in today. Um, I think conversations about race are really incredibly important, but I think for the most part throughout our history, we've either been reluctant to have those conversations or we've had non-productive conversations. And to me, the greatest thing we can do to lead to more productive conversations is to learn more. We don't know enough to have the real productive conversations about race. And in particular, when you think about Milwaukee and the conditions of Milwaukee, I'm, I was born in, in Mississippi, moved to Milwaukee when I was seven years old back in 1973. The Milwaukee of today is completely different than the Milwaukee of my childhood. And I want people to understand what happened to that Milwaukee that I loved so much as a little boy. Uh, growing up in Milwaukee. So I'm going to take you through the history of segregation kind of on a national scale, but I want you to kind of understand how those national policies were impactful here in our state, in our locality as well. So without further ado, first thing I want to show you is what we look like. This is the Milwaukee metro area. That's the four-county Milwaukee metro area, Milwaukee County, Waukesha, Zaki, and Washington County. The orange dots represent where white people live, the green dots represent where black people live, and blue dots represent where Latinos live, and then there's dots for other people, but there's not enough of them for you to really notice. And it's readily apparent if you look inside of that kind of maroon box inside, that's the borders of the city of Milwaukee, that most black people live in Milwaukee, right? On the north side, the northwest side, and you see most of the Latino population is on the south side of Milwaukee. Now, people ask all the time, well, don't people self-segregate? Don't people want to live around people like themselves? Well, yeah, some people do, but there's some people that don't want to self-segregate. There are people that want to live just wherever they want to live, and they don't really care who lives there. Traditionally, and I have to be honest with you, I, I tell people all the time, to have these conversations, you can't pussyfoot around about it and be dishonest. The reason that it looks like that is because white people wanted it to look like that. That's the bottom line. So I'm going to tell you some of the mechanisms that they had available to them to create those segregated spaces. Now, what makes Milwaukee stand out, we're considered the most segregated metropolitan area in the country, not the most segregated city, because they don't measure it by cities. They measure by metropolitan statistical areas. And the way it's measured is they look at people of color and compare them to whites in their geographical region. And if they're evenly dispersed throughout their geographical region, their segregation index is really low. If they're concentrated in pockets together, their segregation index is really high. And it ranges from zero to 100, 100 being the most segregated place. So the last census that was done 10 years ago, Milwaukee ranked number one with a score of 81 out of 100. And what that 81 really means is that for us to go from where we are to being a completely integrated metropolitan area, that means 81% of black people would have to pack up and move to a new neighborhood. What's the chances of that happening? 
Slim and none, and Slim is on vacation. So we know, and people ask me this all the time, Reggie, what can we do about segregation? What can we do to fix segregation? I said, well, first of all, expecting a bunch of black people to pack up and move out to the suburbs, that's not going to happen. Because it hasn't happened in the last 60 years. Black people have been fighting to get into the suburbs for at least 60 years. It hasn't happened. And there are a variety of reasons. I don't have time to share all those with you. But you'll understand a little bit better once we look at what our region looks like. So this is the city of Milwaukee. It's a very diverse city. The most diverse city in the entire state of Wisconsin. Most people aren't aware that you know, non-Hispanic whites are 36% of the population. Blacks are 39%. Asians, 4%. Latinos, 18.5%. Native Americans, a little bit less than one half of 1%. So that's a very diverse city. However, when you look at those 18 other cities in Milwaukee County, our suburbs within Milwaukee County, this is what it looks like. Doesn't quite look the same, does it? And then when you explore outside of Milwaukee County, in our, our exurban counties, the wild counties as we call them, this is what Waukesha County looks like. This is what Ozaukee County looks like. And those of you who are in Washington County, you're number one. The whitest county in the region. So people who come to Milwaukee from other segregated places like Chicago or Detroit or Cleveland or Buffalo, and they're like, man, it's really segregated in Chicago, but darn it, it's so much worse in Milwaukee, right? And you know how people notice? They get in the car and they drive and they leave the city of Milwaukee. And I tell people the best way to see segregation in Milwaukee is to get in a car, drive down to the lakefront, get on North Avenue, and drive all the way out to Brookfield, just a straight shot. You know, I know a lot of white people don't like to drive down North Avenue, and they heard, you know, some shady areas and all this other stuff. But if you really want to understand what segregation has done to Milwaukee and what it really looks like in the, in the lives of people on a daily basis, drive down North Avenue, and you'll see it very clearly. Every time someone comes in from out of town and wants to learn about segregation, I take them on that trip down North Avenue, and it's very clear to see. But what makes Milwaukee stand out, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, they're segregated. But what's different, our suburbs don't look anything like their suburbs. This is a percentage of black people who live in that county who live outside that central city. So only 7.5% of black people who live in Milwaukee County live outside of the city of Milwaukee. There's literally 18 other cities they could live in, but a very small percentage of them live there for obvious reasons. Uh, uh, redlining policies, racial restrictive covenants from many, many years ago that have been you know, null and void and unconstitutional for over 50 years. However, there are still policies and practices in place that make it not a welcoming environment for black people. Uh, and if you look at Buffalo, Detroit, Chicago, and Cleveland, a significantly larger number of black people living in their suburbs. So when they moved to their suburbs, um, they were able to be successful because, uh, with the exception of Buffalo, which is a little bit weirder, but if you look at Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland, black people came to those cities much earlier than they came to Milwaukee. Milwaukee's black population in 1940 was less than 9,000, and it grew to 105,000 by 1970. So we didn't have a long period of time like Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland to build a long, uh, a long time to build in a strong black middle class and business class. But we did build it. However, it disappeared, and I'll share with you a little bit later. But that is one of the things that makes Milwaukee so different. We came here later. We didn't start coming to Milwaukee in large numbers until the 1940s. During World War II, the companies needed our labor. They started to actively recruit black people from Arkansas and Georgia and Mississippi and Kentucky and Louisiana and all these other places. But before that, black people just were not coming here. Two factors. Number one, Milwaukee was the, the 
in the early 1900s, Milwaukee was the most foreign-born city in the United States of America. It had a larger percentage of foreign-born residents than any other city in the country, and that was because you had a lot of ethnic groups that had come to Milwaukee over a long period of time and then established themselves in those factories, so they didn't want black people working there. They banned black people from the unions. They kept them out, so black people were like, it doesn't make sense to go to Milwaukee. You can't get a decent job, but finally during World War II, they would come and get those jobs because they needed them. So this is a sign. In every Lawrence city of homes, Restrictive zoning. This is a sign that used to be all over Wauwatosa for years. For years, this sign told you that Wauwatosa had what they call restrictive zoning. And what restrictive zoning simply meant was that only white people could live in Wauwatosa. In these communities that had restrictive covenants in place, these were legally binding documents that said only white people could occupy this particular space. And so that particular sign was a sign I went and took a picture of at the Walrotos Historical Society last year. It's on a small building at the Walrotos Historical Society at the time. I used that photograph in a presentation that I did uh, for the NAACP of Milwaukee. A reporter from Milwaukee Journal, Sentinel John Schmidt, was there. He came up to me and asked me about the, 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 the sign. I told him about it. He inquired about it. He did a really good article. I consulted with him on an article he wrote about kind of the history of racism and segregation in Wauwatosa. That photograph, uh, very similar to that one, taken by a professional photographer, Journal Sentinel, was on the front page of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel last year, right? So it was a big hoopla in Wauwatosa. People were very nervous. After that photojournalist from the Journal Sentinel took, took a picture of that sign, the next day they took it down. They literally took it down. And that photograph, when I use it one other time, a Wauwatosa alder person, former alder person, said, Reggie, you know they had one of those in City Hall, too. I'm like, really? He's like, not only did they have it in City Hall, but they just took it out last year. I was like, really? And he said, that's not even the worst part. He says, the worst part, back in the 80s, somebody came along with some green duct tape, and they taped over the part that said restrictive zoning with green duct tape, as if nobody knew what was under that tape, right? So they were really trying to hide that from people, and they took that sign down a little over a year ago. Now, because I contacted something from the, from the Wauwatosa Historical Society, um, I actually met them in a program I did. I said, you guys should have left the sign up. I said, that's a teachable moment for Tosa. Don't try to hide from your history. You can't cover it up. Listen, the photograph was on the front page of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Reggie Jackson has used that photograph like 100 times in presentations. People know. Don't hide from it. Use it as a teachable moment. And that's exactly what they're doing. I'm working with them now to kind of get the sign put back up there. So that's a good sign. So anyway, the other sign, we want white tenants in our white community. That was a sign that was posted outside of Detroit in 1942 as they were building veterans housing. White people did not want to have any black veterans living there. So they put that sign up, and eventually not a single black veteran was able to move into that housing with their families. So... Racial covenants, these covenants that were attached to properties that said who could and could not live in these properties, they were used throughout Milwaukee County. This was a study done simply just within Milwaukee County suburbs. Bayside, Fox Point, Glendale, Greenfield, Hills Corner, St. Francis, South Milwaukee, all specifically excluded black people with these covenants. Cuddahay, Short, West Milwaukee, Whitefish Bay, Wauwatosa have restrictions on any non-Caucasian people. Wauwatosa had more covenants than any other suburb of Milwaukee, and they were widespread throughout Milwaukee as well, all over the city of Milwaukee. 16 and 18 suburbs used them. The only exceptions where they didn't find any were Oak Creek and River Hills, but they believed that there were some in Oak Creek for sure. So what do these things look like? This is an example of one from South Milwaukee. Uh, and I'd used this once, and the mayor of South Milwaukee was in the audience, and he saw it, and he's like, he read it. 
and I read it, and I said it expires January 1st, 2024. So it was written in 1937, set to expire in 2024. And let's read it together. Can we read it as a chorus? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. At no time shall any such lot or building thereon be purchased, owned, leased, occupied, or used by any person other than citizens of the United States of America of the white race. This provision shall not apply to domestic servants which may be employed by the owner or occupant of any such lot or building thereon. That's the typical language that was used in these covenants. And they were legally binding. If you violated it, you could lose your home. Were you going to risk losing your home? Of course you were not. And the part about domestic servants, that meant that they could only legally occupy that space while they were working. Once their work time was over, they could no longer legally be in that space. That's how important they were. And the federal government started to mandate that if you wanted to get an FHA loan, you had to have one of these in place. So the federal government pushed these and made them spread around the country in a way that they never would have before. So they helped to create this gap in home ownership that we still see today. The federal government is directly responsible for it. They gave loans to many, many people, but most of them were white people. So you can see they underwrote $120 billion in new houses from 1934 to 1962, but 98% of the loans they gave from 1930 to 1950 were only to white people. 